Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Happy Saturday, and thanks for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. Today we have kind of an interesting topic, uh, sometimes amusing, sometimes kind of sad, sometimes downright scary. We have, we're going to be talking about divorce revenge, and we have with us uh, Dr. Karen um, Huffer. I wanted to say Hunter, but uh, Dr. Karen Huffer, and she is Associate Professor at King's University, a forensic psychologist, which is what I aspire to be, and an advocate for uh, people with disabilities all the way from uh, brain injury to PTSD due to domestic violence. So she's here to talk with us about revenge and what it really means. So if you would like to join us, please give us a call, 646 378 0430. Tell us about your story of divorce revenge and how it turned out. Welcome, Dr. Huffer. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate being with you this morning. Good. Um, I don't know where you are at. I think you're in the, the Midwest, aren't you? Mountain time? At the moment, I'm in Colorado in the snow. Ah, okay. Well, we are having a beautiful day. We've had a little bit of a cold snap, but it's clear and the sun is shining out here in Seattle, so it's a great day, and that should sustain us during this conversation about some pretty uh, awful stuff. Um, I was doing my homework, and uh, I found some really um, interesting stories about breakup revenge. Um, Some of them, like I said, amusing. some of them, uh, you know, not so much. Uh, I was reading one story about a, a man, I guess he was a farmer, and his wife got the house in the divorce, and so he loaded up the tractor with fresh manure and took it over and dumped it in her hot tub. <laughs> and we do hear these. Uh, yes. One couple that I um, was involved with, the woman went into the closet and cut all the man's Uh, pant legs off so when he went to get dressed the next day what he had was shorts oh my gosh a closet full of expensive shorts but you know you hear that uh, these things are done you know um terrible things uh and it can be funny in a comedy can be funny when we tell the story and we have to laugh sometimes at I don't know, the war of roses, I guess, absurdity of it all. But when you get into the dynamics of what causes these kinds of behaviors in wars between people, and then the biggest problem I find is that they will use the court as a weapon. They will lie to the court and use the court as a weapon and fabricate things on one another. And the court can't sort it out. Yep. So they come well, out that with... happens a lot in domestic violence situations. Um, you know, oh, yeah, that's all yeah. about control. Um, if you can't control the person in the ways that you're typically controlling her, uh, then you use what you can to control, and that's usually the courts at that point. So that's um, right. we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna talk about that a little bit later. But first of all, I wanted to uh, just share some of these situations, and everybody's heard about them. Um, the typical one, like you said, was the cutting up the clothing, but there's another one um, where he's, the guy set his wife's wedding dress, wedding photos, and her skis on fire, and um, 
you know, that's kind of, you know, the ultimate revenge here when it comes to um, getting back at the clothing, I guess. Um, A Michigan woman sent a letter coated in peanut butter to her ex-husband, whose new wife was allergic to peanuts. That's bordering on, mm, you know, delicious. This one uh, is under the category of cutting off one's nose despite one's face, I think. Um, This was a 52-year-old Colorado man, and he converted his life savings, a half a million dollars, into gold and then tossed it all into a trash can so he could keep it from his wife of 25 years. He didn't want to share it with her. So he'd rather give it away than to give it back. And when they asked him about it, he said, damn right I did. He didn't want, he had 22 pounds of gold bars. Oh, my word. threw it in various trash cans Uh. rather than give it to the wife, you know, share it with the wife. Um, That's, I think, what a lot of this is about, isn't it? Just, you know, you don't want to share your things. You want to make sure that that person suffers in some way. Or you're not going to contribute one dime to the new life they have. Sometimes Even if it means cutting off your own life savings. That's right. That's right. I'm in a case right now where the guy is wasting the money because it will punish the wife. Hmm. Wasting it through uh, absurd, uh, frivolous attorney actions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they'd rather it just not... They'd rather it just go away than to give it to share it with the the wife. Yeah. Um, when I was doing my research for this, it seemed like the women's revenge was kind of under the category of like you mentioned with the clothing. Or I saw a lot of stories about women using the toothbrush to clean the toilet. You know, things like that. Um, it seems like the men's revenge is is um, a little bit more aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but women seem to, the stories that I saw anyway, it seemed like the women were into sneaky things. Um, one that really made me laugh, and I thought maybe this was an urban legend, but it was listed um, uh, on the Internet, and so, of course, we always believe what we hear on the Internet, don't we? Um, but it's about the wife who lost the house and the divorce, and she was scheduled to move out, and the man and his new wife were moving in the next week. So she cleaned out all of her belongings and then took down the curtain rods and put fresh shrimp into each curtain rod and rehung them. And so nobody could tell where the stink was coming from. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so, but, you know, what about all of these things? I, I mean, I would think, I would be afraid to do some of this stuff for fear that I would get arrested. Yes, and sometimes you do, and sometimes you should and don't, you know, uh, depending on, uh, like, putting the peanut butter uh, where it could actually cost somebody's life. It's a very, these are adults, you know, in the end, while we might laugh at the stories, these are adults, and very often they have children. And it's, I guess it's my interest to try and encourage the people to act like adults and not be coercive, and uh, an attempt to communicate in a way that we can isolate what are those feelings behind all of those things. There's a sense of ownership of one another 
I own you. How dare you leave yeah. me? And I own you enough I can punish you. Like if you were my slave, I will punish you. It's a, a very primitive way of looking at a relationship. And it, mm-hmm. it boils down to communication and frustrated communication and not knowing how, the per- how you feel about being rejected. Very often that's what's happening. And how you so, feel about that. And then what does that do to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I have my own theory about forgiveness. I don't really, um, I, I, I don't buy the thing that you have to forgive to move on. I think you have to let it go, but there's a difference between letting it go and forgiving. Um, this is my little theory. Because um, to me, when you forgive, you're giving somebody a pass for whatever it is that they did. So for me, I don't believe in forgiveness. If you want forgiveness, you have to go to, you know, some higher power than me. Um, but I do believe that you have to let this stuff go and not constantly. Well, I, I agree with you on forgiveness. And I've, I've been through training where I have been told that we were supposed to always have our clients forgive everything. And it's phony. It's absolutely yeah. phony. Sometimes you can never forgive someone that has hurt you deeply and that has to be acknowledged and I, mm-hmm. I think when people can't forgive they shouldn't be uh, pushed into a position where they think they can't move on or they're unhealthy unless they do yes forgiving is one thing recovering is Oh, very good. Yeah, that's a very good word, I think. Forgiving is one thing and recovering is something that that we all need to do. Um, Tell us a little bit about your work, Dr. Hopper. Well, uh, it's years and years and years (laughs) of studying what happens in conflict and the systems we turn to to help us when we have to resolve a conflict or we have to get over a huge trauma, like having someone serve you with divorce papers, having somebody beat you up that you love and you thought you could count on to protect you, all of these predicaments we get into in life and the systems we have to turn to to help us at those times. There should be and need to be and sometimes are sort of systems of care. But what happens is you get people out on the end of a limb psychologically where they are tapped about as far as they can go. So the woman that gets victim of domestic violence, gets beat up, turns to the courts for help, sometimes finds it absolutely backfires on her. Instead of having now one conflict where she got black eyes and bruises and feared for her life, now she's got a whole system of factions and interests and expenses that are not helping but are burdening further. And this happens the reverse with men too, but not as often. There will be men occasionally that are victims of domestic violence, but the majority are women that I work with. Uh, So then they are involved in the court. Then what they find is the whole system of care around them that they're counting on, they go to their doctor. The doctor says, well, this is too stressful for you. You need to get out of it. And they say, will you come to court and testify to tell what's happening? Because they're threatening to take my children away, saying that I'm falsely accusing of abuse 
to alienate the other party so that, you know, he can't see the kids, et cetera. And um, the doctor says, no, I don't go to court. Too painful, too too difficult, uh, too unwieldy. So then all the people that they need to support them at that time say, I don't want to get involved. So you have two people on the end of a limb. Sometimes one takes control, and sometimes one has schemed and planned, and they took control of the finances early on. They began to slander the other person in the neighborhood and in the community and at the church to make other people look at them askance, you know, like, uh, uh uh-oh, there are two sides to this story. Well, and that's uh, pretty easy to do because uh, a victim of domestic violence can get pretty harried. I mean, she can get, I mean, pretty, uh, the appearance that they often give in court is that they are a little irrational, that they are a little nutsy because they're under such stress and they've lived under such stress. Um, whereas the controller, that's what he does. He stays in control. And so he and appears in court cool. as cool and rational. Um, and a lot of judges who are not particularly trained in this, this uh, whole dynamic of domestic violence will sometimes say, well, you know, what he's saying about her being crazy must be true because she sure looks frazzled here. Um, and this is a very important point. Because the first thing that happens, if the person isn't complying with what the abuser says, they call them crazy. And mm-hmm. they think they are. They think anyone that doesn't comply with their power has to be crazy. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. they get and, into court. Yeah, and I don't think I have ever heard, uh, really, seriously, I, I think it is more, it is rare that I hear of a divorce story where somebody isn't saying the other one was crazy. Exactly. Uh, they both see it from different perspectives, and it does look nuts to each of them. However, crazy has become, in my opinion, the C word, and it needs to be treated like the N word. It Crazy has no meaning. It has no uh, medical meaning, and it has no legal meaning. Yeah. And the minute somebody says that, it should be treated as a socially unacceptable word that has no value in disengaging a relationship. So that whole thing of crazy, on top of that, we now have law that says if the person has any kind of mental injury or illness or other impairment, it's confidential, it's to be accommodated in the court, and not fodder for the adversarial arena. So what I've studied is what I call in uh, publish on, and that's legal abuse syndrome. And that's a, it's that the legal system is either causing or exacerbating a traumatic stress that is now adding injury to the insult you came to court for. Yeah. Um, I wrote a book a couple years ago, on, um, women's stories about why they didn't leave. And mo- they actually had left, but for some reason... Friends, family sometimes think that there's something wrong with a woman who doesn't leave when the friends and family think she should leave, um, when in fact there are some pretty legitimate reasons for not doing so at the time. And uh, one of the things that uh, I wrote about in the book is just what we're talking about now, you know, this, this re-victimization by the courts and how devastating that is for somebody who has been victimized 
to then go to somewhere thinking that she'll get justice or somebody will 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 see somebody will get it somebody will help her and then the same darn thing happens there in the courts and uh, and, and that power what do you do about that power then they end up just inundated with cost it's the mm-hmm. lawyers fees it is then all the court appointees they are mm-hmm. given a parent coordinator sometimes, minor's counsel, guardian ad litems, uh, uh, goes on and on, and they have to pay the bills for all of this. How do they possibly do that, especially if someone has commandeered the finances ahead of time? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, It it can be a very traumatic thing um, uh, for anyone, and when you throw in that abuse factor, it's, it's even worse. Doctor, we have a caller. Uh, I'm going to go to our caller and see if there's a question or a, a, a vignette that she can share with us. Hi, caller. Are you there? Hello, caller. Hi. Hello. Are you there? Hi. Hi. Um, is this our caller? Yes. Okay. Um, you wanted to join us with a story or a question? Um, well, more, I, I guess, with a story, um, just explaining my situation and, and what my, um, how um, it worked, worked out for me with the okay. whole divorce. Um, my ex, um, his divorce revenge was to see to it that he got the children um, so that he didn't have to pay child support. And um, so I guess um, he uh, called in uh, DHS, which I think it's CPS, Child Protection Services, on me. And I spent uh, three years um, in court, in juvenile court, in in a horrible, horrible, um, from a you know, legal abuse syndrome is what I suffer from, and um, it, it's just been awful. Do you have your children now, or are you still fighting? Um, no. After three years of um, torture, legal torture, um, he was able to terminate um, my parental rights on um, false allegations of child abuse. Wow. Uh, how, it, how did he do that? Did What did they use to terminate your rights? Let me just give you an example of things I work on. Uh, sure. If you haven't seen your child for a full year and the guardian ad litem or the uh, court appointees or the court uh, are on the path of terminating, that is one of the things that they'll come in and terminate for but I'm working on cases where they are preventing the parents from seeing the child for a year. It's a pretext. And uh, this is terribly disturbing to me because they have so much power, and yet I find that the workers sometimes are not terribly qualified, and they are blocking one parent from visiting the child. And very often the parent causing this issue um, have created, have almost promised 
you will never see your child again. I will see to it. This is one of the big revenge things. I'm going to take your kids from you. How did they do it to you? Um, hi, Dr. Huffer. Um, well, it, you know, it, it started, you know, I was naive. Um, you know, it started with my oldest son, um, you know, reported child abuse. Um, and once you you get into the system, you think, oh, well, I'll be able to go to the judge and, and ex- explain that this is a mistake. Um, I, you know, I was clearly the, the main parent. He he didn't really want the kids. He just didn't want me to have the kids. And, you know, it, it's it's crazy because you they once you're into the system, then there's certain professionals that they use. Like they'll send you to their therapist and they'll falsify um, documents. They'll, they'll, like I was diagnosed with... Um, uh, I can't think right now. It was just so ridiculous. Uh, I had a um, com- compulsive disorder, which, you know, after going to an actual doctor and being tested, that's not at all what I had. I was, you know, diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder from all of the domestic, 23 years of domestic abuse. And But once the... Um, you know, the therapist or the social workers, you know, start writing in black and white false information, it's it's never got corrected. Um, the judge wouldn't even look at, you know, what my actual diagnosis was. They were still going off of um, a false diagnosis. And um, so that's how that worked. And, you know, once you get in with a guardian ad litem who you know, she chose a side and then everyone just followed with whatever she said. And, you know, I would ask every time, I had 18 court dates and every time I would say, you know, where's the motion? I want to see my kids. I want to see my kids. And they would not allow it. And so then when the case went all the way to the Supreme Court, you know, you know, I didn't get to see my kids, but they chose to write it as I was the one that chose not to see my children, which wasn't true. Hmm. You know, a terrible revenge here is I wonder what the kids were told. I wonder if the kids believe you didn't want to see them. It makes me extremely sad to think of that, and um, I it's crushing um, the the mental abuse that they've caused and created for my three children is so horrific. Um, it's it, it's just so unconscionable. Um, it, it, and the the kicker is, at the end of the day, you know, almost after every um, court or you know anything that was written, it was all about in the best interest of the child. <laughs> which was the furthest from the truth that it was not in the best interest of my children. And, you know, my children have been placed with a man that abused me for 23 years, and he has been convicted and and, uh, spent time in jail. I, on the other hand, was never charged with anything. I, you know, never got my day in court. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's, 
just it's an epidemic here here in Iowa. What are you doing now about it? Um, you know, just trying to connect with other people that this has happened to, um, trying to bring it a, awareness to it. There's such shame when your parental rights, especially as a mother, because people still feel that um, men don't get um, custody of children, uh, of their kids. Um, and so, you know, I guess I am just trying to bring awareness. Um, I was placed with um, a gag order, and I was also um, had a have a, a no contact order arranged because I had a my daughter delivered a birthday cake, and um, so the judge, you know, signed off on a. Um, and no contact. And so you couldn't even give your children gifts or send them gifts? No, I was not allowed. And I was also, um, you know, with the gag order and the, the no contact order, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know, I'm just trying to connect somehow. Um, it's definitely a worry. I mean, I don't probably shouldn't even be talking, <laughs> but I just I I really feel that um, in Iowa there are over 500 parents that are terminated in a year, and um, this has been going on for two decades. So um, it's definitely an epidemic. Dr. Huffer, have you heard of these kinds of situations before? I work on them all the time. I hear about them from every state, and I don't care what they're called in the various states. Uh, We have a situation where these court appointees get appointed, and then if there's a coercive controller in the mix, they usually can control them. Uh, I run into regularly a minor's counsel or guardian ad litem that have taken one side passionately and hate the other side. It is an amazing experience because I keep saying in this court of law, which I go with the client as an advocate and attempt to help communicate. Like I said, communication is the key here. But what I'm finding is they're not listening much. But I find that the guardians have spent no time with the children. I uh, I, sometimes they've done nothing but bill. They have spent no time with any family member. I, I, it's my, I've had a little... that there are appointees out there working like that. That's, right, that's very I've true. had a situation where um, I've seen guardians ad litem at work, and it's amazing to me how little time that they spend. It's also amazing to me how, and I should explain that I'm working on a dissertation for my Ph.D. in psychology, and I am astounded in these kinds of cases where one party will go to a psychologist, plead his case, and the psychologist will write up a report as if what this, this patient just said was the absolute gospel. I, I see exactly. every day. I, you know, I know, like, she never spoke to me. The guardian, my guardian ad litem in three years never spoke to me. And she's supposed to be representing my children and um, she would give hugs to my ex-narcissist. 
husband and in the hallway. Um, and now, since she's their guardian and litem, she will get paid until my children turn 18 years of age. And do you have to help pay for that? No, my rights were terminated, and um, so I, I'm not, fortunately. But I have to tell you, I know many mothers that are paying their ex, and um, they maybe get to see their children four hours out of a week. Yeah. Um, because just because you have your parental rights terminated doesn't mean that you're off the financial hook. You still uh, oftentimes have to pay uh, child support and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, in, in, Dr. The Huffer, I'm Iowa, yeah, yeah. in the state of Iowa, yeah, in the state of Iowa, once you're terminated, you're not financially obligated. Wow, um, that's kind of like the ultimate, the absolute ultimate revenge, um, Doctor oh, Huffer. Yeah. If, if I may, I'm going to give your website. It's www.equalaccessadvocates.com. That's equalaccessadvocates.com. And caller, you might want to go there um, and get to know that uh, website and see if there's something that that might be helpful for you there. Um, that's the, where Dr. Huffer. Um, um, well, that's that's Dr. Huffer's website for Equal Access Advocates. And uh, I hope I'm not out of line here, Doctor, by recommending she go there. Oh no, um, not at all. Huh? Okay, good, good. So, caller, I. I appreciate exactly how painful this whole thing must be for you and uh, I hope that you're able to find someone somewhere that can help you Um, how old are your children Um, my daughter is 10 years of age my second son is 13 and my oldest is 19 well the 19 year old could see you if he wanted can has he been right well the thing is when I mean, the last time I spent time with him, he was 14 years of age. So he's had three years of, you know, negative um, (laughs) drilled into his head about me. So um, it's it's he's been brainwashed, and um, it's absolutely it's horrific. (laughs) That's an important point, though. That once the revenge issue goes into putting down the other parent and forcing the kid like to not accept a birthday cake or or a gift or something what happens is we are causing those children to feel guilty if they relate with the other parent they know that they're going to be in disfavor with the one that is angry with the other parent and that's where, you know, there are alienation things that people do, even though we don't find that the syndrome has, has validity. But there's so little you can do when the child feels so guilty, and it's such an awful burden to put on them. They suffer oh. for the rest of their life. They're guilty if they don't see mom. They're guilty if they do see mom. Well, and not only that, but then they have to suffer from not having uh, another parent, um, exactly. you know. Uh, You know, so it's kind of like a double whammy for those children. Right. And this Mm -hmm. little girl, you know, 10 years old, being robbed of a mother through her teen years. Well, studies do show that men who get custody, and I'm probably going to get a lot of calls from men here, but the studies do show that men who get custody typically 
are not the primary parent of those chi- that child. They have a, a new wife or a new girlfriend or their own mothers exactly. who take over the responsibility for for mothering the children. And um, you know, so so they're probably getting some mothering from somebody, so to speak. Well, um, unfortunately, in my case, the 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 girlfriend, the live-in girlfriend, had her children taken away, and um, oh. so yeah, that it. But now she has you know, yours. Right, right, and oh, and she is not. Um, she is not uh, a, a good role model, um, and I worry about them. You know, statistics show that the girlfriend or the boyfriend of you know, you know, accidents and and drug use and and mischievous. It's it's just it's not a good. Wow, thing. you know, caller, I I just I I can't say uh, enough uh, of how sympathetic I am with your situation. I'm going to leave you on the line if you have time to hold on, but we do yeah. have another caller. Um, okay. So I'm going to go check our other caller, and uh, if you want to stay on the line, uh, maybe we can. Um, you know, uh, have a, a, a larger conversation here. So hold on, and I will go to our next caller. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Do you want to uh, uh, share with us about divorce revenge that you might have experienced? Well, I actually had a similar experience to, well, my my ex tried a similar thing to what... Um, the previous caller uh, experienced, so he tried to report me to Child Protective Services, and um, he talked to uh, the um, the guardian ad litem and tried to convince her that I had a narcissistic personality disorder, that I had never parented my children from the beginning. And, um, you know, this is somebody, I was a stay-at-home mom for, 11 years, and my um, and I had gone back to work because my husband lost his job, mm-hmm. and um, and I um, was divorcing him because he raped me and hurt me so badly, and so it was unbelievable to me. But he was actually able to convince the guardian ad litem, although he had a, the school had made a given him a notification. Because he wouldn't take my he was when I was going to work in the morning early he couldn't get my youngest child to go to work go to school because he would keep him up late at night and um, and even though there was a school notification against him and um, you know he was in actually in legal trouble because he had violated a no contact order that went in place after the rape and yet. He still managed to convince the guardian ad litem to put our only minor child, well, in in his custody uh, to make that recommendation. So, um, I recognize your area code caller, and so I'm familiar with the county court system that you're calling from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I actually went through guardian ad litem training in King County, which you'll be familiar with. And mm-hmm. um, the training uh, paid lip service. They had a couple of people there talking about domestic violence. 
Um, but they also gave a big thing about parental alienation syndrome, which, Dr. Huffer, you have already said, you know, that there's, there's no validity to this. No one has, no, no one that credible was, has yeah. found any validity to parental alienation syndrome. I mean, you'll find all sorts of information on the Internet from fathers' rights groups about this supposed syndrome. But legal associations, the, the Bar Association and the Psychological Association have all said this is nothing, this is nonsense um, by a bunch of, you know, bitter people. Um, so the um, parental alienation issue should only be addressed, in my opinion, um, to explain how it's just kind of used by people who want to discredit the other parent. Um, we already have statutes all over the place about custodial interference, and uh, if somebody is interfering with the, uh, you know, bad-mouthing or saying bad things to the children about the other person, that comes under um, custodial interference. So this whole notion of parental alienation is just a crock. Um, but nevertheless, at the training I went through, they did talk a lot about parental alienation. They also talked about how each parent should be seen as uh, 50-50, even if there, were, uh, if there was documented domestic violence. They should still be seen as 50-50 in, in ability to get custody of their children. Um, I was, quite frankly, kind of appalled by it. Um, Dr. Hoffer, have you experienced anything like that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, uh, and if you have a coercive controller or a person with a sociopathic-type personality, 50-50 is impossible. They will simply use their 50% the way the Congress has been doing to obstruct everything. Yeah. And so the child gets no positive parenting. The person who is capable of being flexible, positive, parenting the child without those deficits needs to have the control and the other one get visitation, supervision, whatever is required. But you do 50-50, and we've got nothing but legal battles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they last a whole lifetime of some of these children. Some of these kids know nothing but the judge rules my life. Yeah. It's really yeah. sad for the children because when a person decides to use their children as a weapon against their 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 ex-spouse in court, it's very sad for the children. Uh, in our case, our children were all told that um, that I was trying to take the children away from their dad, and um, the fact that, the, that I tried to live by the court order, which was that I was the, that I was the custodial parent, and even though every time I... Um, um, that was used against me to say that I was trying to um, take the children away. And all the children were told it was their job to the dad stay a part of their lives by writing letters to the court to tell them that uh, to support his case. And the children did this because they felt it was their job. They're made to feel guilty. I have one right now videotaping the kid telling him what to say and bringing the videotapes. Then, here's the other part of revenge, and that is I won't pay. I can't tell you how many parents are simply defying 
the court orders and paying not a dime of child support year after year and still raising cane for the other parent in court and getting away with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, in court, the man had bought two airplanes and hadn't paid a dime of child support. And I was trying to show the court the coercive control and how he was always in court bringing that poor mother in for contempt. And she attempted, like you, to follow every order, to do it all right, and he was setting her up and, and filing contempt. And uh, the kid finally got to be of an age. She said, why is it he can't talk to me? He, he goes to a lawyer, files with a lawyer who goes to the parent coordinator, and then they bring my mother to court in order to solve a problem that he could solve by calling me up, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Terrible, So it's terrible. revenge. You left yeah. me, and you're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, Even you if I suffer. You've yeah. forgotten who's in control here. And I will remind you. Yeah. That's right. And it, it's a coercive control issue that the courts are blind to. I'm trying yeah. to educate them. Evan Stark wrote a wonderful book on it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're out there trying to make people see that if you have a pathological mindset that is determined to control, that isn't, they're no good in mediation. They're incompetent mediators. They're incompetent in terms of sharing any kind of parental responsibility. They'll simply use their control to show you who the boss is, regardless of the best interest of the child. Yeah, that's and regardless of how much it costs. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah. No matter yeah. who gets punished. I mean, these kids' college educations are thrown out the window all the time on oh, this yeah. kind of nonsense. Oh, yeah. my my divorce cost me about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I mean, I just it's like every like right now I don't have a working heater because I have to save up all the money to replace the heater, and I'm I still owe fifty thousand dollars left for my divorce. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it, incredible. It, it's at least a year's salary. We know it will cost somebody a hundred percent of a year's salary. Oh yeah, to deal with. The- Um, We have another caller, um, and I want to go to that person. Uh, Can you hang on with us, uh, uh, caller? Okay, Mm -hmm. great. Hi, caller. Are you there with us? Yes, I am. Hi. You have a story of divorce revenge for us? Unfortunately, I'm in the middle of it right now. Um, Yes, I was once a private practitioner, had a psychological practice in the town, psychologist, um, was attacked by my husband and became suddenly very ill, mysteriously, and was able to get out with my children at about 89 pounds. Um, I hid out, uh, kept my children safe, was deemed a, uh, what was it, um, a, a a, a paramount of protectivity to my children by Department of Human Services. Um, subsequently, he uh, took my horses that I used for equine therapy and dumped them to die. The Humane Society helped me get them back. He knows the town sheriff. He knows everybody, so he was not convicted. Um, he's moving in for visitation and would like to have custody. We're about 150000 in the hole. 
trying to keep them safe. And I, bet I don't know what will happen. Yeah. Um, you probably see this kind of thing all the time, Dr. Hufford, do you? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. What I'm concerned about is how is he, what kind of protection were you granted and how is he getting past that protection to try and see the kids and get custody? Well, the uh, visitation orders um, granted him no custody, no decision-making, nothing in the temporary orders of the divorce. Suddenly, the case was what was called bifurcated out, and Department of Human Services was given control over making custody and visitation arrangements. They have their hired guns who they have paraded in front of my children, one after the other, for reunification. They've also oh. they have failed until now. We have somebody who seems to be almost as sociopathic as a father and just doesn't care and is moving, no matter what the reaction of my children, moving forward. Let me get the picture. So the child abuse was he beat you in front of the children? Yes, ma'am, nearly killed me. In front of the children. Did he ever in front abuse of the children? children? Um, yes, he did when I was at uh, Mayo Clinic trying to figure out why I was suddenly dying when I had been an athlete and horsewoman my whole life. He abused the children very How did badly. he abuse the children? Was it? Did someone report it? How was that handled? No one reported it. Um, I came back and um, was attacked and left, and then my eldest started to report what she's reported is a gun behind their heads, um, shots fired, missing their heads. A gun? And gun, G-U-N? Yes. He held a gun behind their heads? Lined them up one behind the other and then lifted the gun last minute and the children ran and hid. My four-year-old thinks he died and came back to life. Whenever anything dies, he thinks it'll magically reappear again because he does not know that when the shot was fired, he was not killed. And so the protective order was the whole family. The protective order was um, initially did not cover my son because he couldn't talk. He stopped speaking at the time of the gunshot. Um, He couldn't talk for himself, therefore could not be a witness for himself, so he was not covered under any restraining order. I had to beat doors down to get him covered. Then we were all covered, and the court said only for one year it's listed. And then we fought very hard and got a no-contact order. He's violated that uh, time and time again with no recourse. And have and you reported no, every time there's he no violated enforcement it? of the contact order then? I went to the police station with the no-contact order and um, was nearly laughed out of the police station. I was told I could file a contempt motion, but they were not concerned. Was so not now the children decision. are being reunified. How are they acting toward him? They will see him this week. They are um, have backslid tremendously in the middle of this uh, because their therapist fought so hard to keep them uh, safe. They were terminated and threatened with contempt 
I have a uh, terminated over my head. Who got the, terminated? The therapist. So my children have no um, therapy, so no outside observers to document. Who terminated how well the doing. children's therapist? The judge. Oh, based on what? <laughs> the recommendation of the guardian ad litem. Oh, I, I had manipulated everybody. That's what having a doctorate in clinical psychology got me, was unfortunately being accused of having mastermind this whole thing. And um, I don't know how that explains me leaving at 89 pounds from my home in a practice that I adored of 10 years, but suddenly it did. And, uh, well, my question is, what credentials does the judge have to terminate your children's therapist? Based upon what psychological testimony or medical testimony? Was there expert medical and psychological testimony that that agreed with the judge? Only to the contrary. Strongly to the contrary. Judge overrode the experts? A pediatrician who's also a psychiatrist and three other therapists. This is one of the most outrageous cases I've ever heard. The, the children are, are definitely not prepared for what's coming this week. What state are you in, caller? I'm in Colorado. Okay. All right. Um, and, gosh. And, uh, you know, I, I got my master's degree in Colorado at UC Denver, and I know that that whole state does so much in the areas of domestic violence, and I am just so shocked um that you know by by this um story because uh, I, you know in in Colorado of all places um yeah. you know i'm going to give out um the website for dr huffer it is www.equalaccessadvocates.com she also has a, a webinar uh, to train advocates on January 9th. She has written uh, a book uh, called Legal Abuse Syndrome and Unlocking Justice. You can reach her at legalabuse@gmail.com. And it sounds to me like, Dr. Huffer, um, you understand this kind of situation. I, I want to know what town, but I don't want her to say it uh, publicly, but I yeah, want to well, know what of the old west that a judge is overriding everybody and taking away a kid's therapist. Yeah. Well, caller, you got that email address, right? Legalabuse@gmail.com, and perhaps you can get uh, together with Dr. Huffer um, later. Um, Dr. Huffer, everybody has to make a living. Um, how you know so many people who are in this situation don't have money. That's part of the problem. They can't get good legal representation because they don't have the resources. How, you know, I, I guess this is kind of a personal question, but how can you balance your skills and desires to help people with your need to earn a living? Oh, that's a really good question. That's why I'm poor. <laughs> I, my fees are relatively dirt cheap compared to what my people have gone through. I make a living, not a killing, but I make a living, and I do let people know I do have to charge for my services because I don't have funding because we want to be autonomous. I must be able 
to confront situations without having somebody come behind me and say, you know what, you better back off from that. Uh, so for years, since early 90s, I have been autonomous. I've charged fee-for-service. Uh, sometimes insurance pays in some cases for therapy. But um, uh, it, it's, it's no way to get wealthy. However, I can tell you I have million-dollar paydays. Because when we get these cases turned around, and what's helped us a lot is the current law. And I'm shocked that the one caller from Iowa, Senator Harkin, is my hero in how he helped get the Americans with Disabilities Act Amendments Act passed and into effect in 2009. That says if you have any impairment that is keeping you from being functional, and capable of protecting yourself in court, you get accommodations and you get help. And that's what I work under. I go in with the person as their advocate, as their witness, and I help them uh, when they're breaking down in court because it's too stressful. So from but we have our people with PTSD, anxieties, traumatic stress that is an injury. It's not a mental illness. It's a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. And the situations we've heard today are very abnormal. These are, are outrageous circumstances that someone has to live through. Now, Caller most from of the- Iowa, have yes. you, were you, yeah, um, Dr. Huffer, you said a, congr- a congressman's name? Harkin. Harkin. Tom Harkin okay, from, from Iowa. Iowa. Have you contacted the, um, uh, Congressman Harkin's? Office? Um, yes, I've been in Senator Harkin's office three times. I, I also I am a caterer and I have catered food for him. Um, <laughs> he knows he knows my situation and um, you know it, it just my my disability invisible disability of post traumatic stress disorder was totally um, mishandled. Um, the judge throughout my advocate. Um, I don't get to to read have been locked. I'm being blocked from seeing them. Um, oh my they, lord! My friends and um, support group have been kicked out of the court. Um, I was searched. Um, I had to hand in my phone, my jacket. I was patted down. Um, they didn't. Um, the judge had free reign and, um, you know, because it's juvenile and they're looking out for the best interests of the child, um, you know, they can pretty much do whatever they want behind closed doors and they did. It was, it was horrific. (laughs) And unfortunately, um, Senator Harkin, extremely disappointed. Um, it was, it, it was just awful. And, you know, it's just a group of juvenile courts, the guardian ad litem, the state prosecuting attorney, the child protective services, the guardian ad litem, they all work together. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there were 78 cases that went to the Supreme Court and only one of them got overturned. So they have a system down. It's definitely a recipe and they all follow it. And, you know, they get lies printed in black and white, and that's the way it is. Well, something that's important to understand, if you're going to go to your congressman for help, they won't take one constituent's case 
against another because both are voters. So if you're going to go, you have to go with bill language that is broad-based, that has nothing to do if you just say, I became aware of this in my case, and I think this is something that needs to be uh, presented uh, with the law or a change in the law or something. You have to go with the broad-based thing or they won't take one person's side. That's one of the things I've learned over 30 years of trying to get Congress people to help with these cases. Wow. You know, we're running out of time here, and uh, that really disappoints me. Dr. Huffer, is there any chance you'd be able to join us for more of the same next week? Uh, I believe I can. Let's continue this program into next week. Callers, thank you so much. Again, I want to give Dr. Hubbard's webpage, equalaccessadvocates.com. Email is legalabuse at gmail.com. So um, please, uh, you know, join us next week. We're going to continue this. I just made that kind of sweeping decision right now. Uh, I must say that this show has taken a little bit of a different turn than what I anticipated, Dr. Huffer. I thought we were going to talk about um, some, you know, anecdotes about what people have done, um, you know, with with the shrimp and the curtain rods, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And I really, uh, I guess I should have, but I really didn't anticipate the seriousness of of some of these, this revenge. Um, It so quickly dives into court, and then who can get that power behind them? Exactly. And that's the serious revenge that we're facing. Yeah. Wow, and and the stories that we read, you know, that that we think are funny, you know, the the, the guy who buys the house next to his wife and erects a, an obscene statue, so she has to see it every time she looks out her draw, uh, her uh, uh, across out her front window or whatever, or the the clothes that are co- you know burned in the driveway, or um, uh, you know, the one story was that she poked holes in his fishing waders. That's nothing. That's nothing. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just good wow. ideas, maybe, but <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was wondering on some of these whether you really could. Um, one one of the stories was, and maybe this is good to swing it back to a little bit lighter note right now. But as we wrap it up, but one woman uh, went to a magazine stand and she took all of the coupons for um, subscribe. You get your first copy free, and then you you have to cancel it <laughs> if you don't want to keep getting it. She sent in 200 of those for her ex. So she subscribed like him to 200, 200 magazines. Now, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know if there's any legal uh, repercussions from something like that. Probably. Um, but that sounds like some uh, workable revenge for me because how long will it take him to sort out, you know, subscriptions to 200 magazines? That's That's going to be tough. Um, well, next week I'll tell you a real one from one of my cases, but off the air I have to ask you if I can use a word. <laughs> yeah. I'll and we this. are, as I said, uh, rapidly coming to the end of our show. Uh, callers, thank you so much uh, for calling in. My heart goes out to each and every one of you. And um, hopefully you can come uh, make some contact here with the webpage or with Dr. Huffer personally and um Please join us next week. We're going to continue this discussion into next week. Um, it, it's just a, um, a, a shocker to me. So um, 
you know, let's let's continue this conversation next week. Dr. Huffer, any real quick final words to keep hold us over until next week? Oh, just to hang in there and don't give up because the laws do work. The federal law is powerful. In almost every one of these cases, I think you'll find where they've been violated, and it's only by staying with that in a calm, clear, straight-ahead fashion that we are turning these things around. Okay, thank you. With that, we are going to... Dr. Huffer, with that, we've run out of time, and we're going to have to continue this next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, More next week with Dr. Huffer and Divorce Revenge. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. 